of the history of the world, especially when it comes uh, to spiritual affairs. So to begin in Romans chapter 1, Paul, he begins with what we call a general revelation. That meaning everything that is of God, about God, has been clearly perceived in all the world around us. The things that we see in nature, the beautiful Grand Canyon or something so beautiful to our eyes, that has God's handprints all over it. Not only in nature, perhaps other things that we encounter, maybe a great love story, maybe we watch a movie and the hero makes a selfless act of sacrifice. Every time we witness that, perhaps if you are like me, something inside of your heart resonates. And that resonation is saying that God is true. God is real. His handprints are all over those things. Perhaps when you witness the birth of a child, that miracle, something inside of says, yes, this is God's doing. God's handprints all over this. But in spite of that, Paul writes that the whole world, even though what is known of God is clearly perceived and clearly seen, that we turn to our own ways, and instead of worshiping God, we worship man-made idols. From cultures worshiping wooden statues and metal statues to us worshiping success, the great American dream or a great relationship, whatever it may be. So we exchange the worship of God to the worship of creation. So in God's wrath, he let us be. He says, fine, have it your way. And what happens as a result? The whole world is filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, and so forth. And we don't need to be convinced of that. We can look out into the world to see that us left to ourselves, this is how we end up. And now, while some of the Jewish Christians in Paul's day, as they're reading this, what they're thinking is, yes, that is true. The Gentiles, those non-Jews, they're the ones who are acting this way, and they deserve God's wrath. And in response to that, Paul writes, no, you yourselves, you Jewish Christians, you are just as bad because you practice the same things. In your heart is filled with all these kinds of evil. He says, as a matter of fact, you guys are worse because you had God's law and God's presence all throughout the Old Testament, and yet you are no different from those outside of Israel. So what Paul is doing, he is equalizing the playing field, total depravity, if you remember our last message, that everything about us, every single person, Whatever we do is tainted with sin, with either impure motives, the way we do things, the way things end up, it is not perfect. Even our best is tainted with sin. And so with that, I think a lot of us walked away with, man, this is pretty depressing. All three chapters talking about God's wrath, sin, our depravity. But now what we have is we have the turn in Romans chapter 3, and we can see this turn by these two words, but now, in verse 21. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he says those two words are the most beautiful words ever, but now. God taking the initiative because he had to present the bad news. You can't have the good news 
unless you first know the bad news. And we've been hearing bad news time and time after again. But now things are different because of what God has done. And those two words, but now, it transitions now into what we call the center of Romans. Some call it the center of all of the Bible, the most important paragraph in Scripture. Why? Because this summarizes what the entire Bible teaches, especially regarding salvation. How you and I can be saved from our sins, being justified before God. So that's the theme of our message this morning. Justification, three points. Number one, our need for justification. Number two, the nature of justification. And three, the grounds. The need, the nature, and the grounds for justification. So let's pray one final time and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, Lord, these past few weeks and even today, God, we are encountering some deep truths. And these doctrines are definitely deep and profound. But God, at times, Lord, they, they go over our heads sometimes. But we pray that your Holy Spirit will be able to work in our hearts to not only understand but to grasp with our hearts the implications of this gospel. So we pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. So number one, our need for justification. In our day and age, if I go out and I present this topic of being justified before God, what do you think the average mainline person is going to say? Your main average college student friend is going to say, they're going to say, what? And that's something that Christians, maybe even religious people are concerned about. But this idea of being justified before God, it doesn't pertain to me. They will say, you know, it's Christians and the religious that need to know this, that need to see this as the most important idea for them. It might seem very irrele uh, irrelevant. But what I want us to be convinced of is whether you're Christian or not, our need for justification is very evident in all of us. All of us are seeking justification, whether Christian or not, religious, irreligious. We have this unshakable need to substantiate our worth in this life. A need to claim that our life is not just a product of, of what do we call it, differentiated cells, you bio majors, that somehow just got together in this primordial slime, and voila, here we are. All of us need to make sense of our lives to provide meaning, to justify us in our lives. What's the purpose of it all? What is it that's going to drive me emotionally? Without this, we're going to be downright depressed. So what is this justification? What justifies our lives? Everyone is concerned with this. In Chariots of Fire, if you remember, Harold Abraham's that Olympic racer, right as he was about to step on the track in the 1924 Paris Olympics, he says, I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide, and I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And that goes to show all the work, all the efforts that he puts in, that will be justified on how he does in his 10-second race. And likewise, for you and me, our lives will be justified by all the work, all the energy, all the emotional investment that we have put into our careers, our families, experiences, traveling the world, whatever it may be. 
That will justify your existence. But the problem is, none of those things can bear the weight of justifying your life. It can only be God. It cannot be your children, your money, a certain kind of lifestyle, comfort, or a vacation. Why? Because the only thing, the only one that can bear the weight of justifying our lives, our existing, is God. It's the one who has created you, not in some creation. It is only the creator who knows the purpose of his creation, to be justified in him. There's a movie back in the 1980s uh, in Botswana, and it follows the story of this tribesman uh, living in the middle of the Kalahari Desert. And one day, uh, this plane is flying by, and, and out comes uh, this glass Coca-Cola bottle out of the skies, and it falls. And he encounters this glass bottle, and he has no idea what it is. He initially thinks, this is a gift from the gods. Perhaps it has some magical power. So he takes it back to his tribe, and all the elders of the various tribes gather, trying to figure out what this is, studying it, talking about it, eventually arguing and fighting over which tribe can get this magical Coca-Cola bottle. Until one wise elder, he said, you know what? This is not a gift. It's a curse. It's a curse from the gods trying to set us apart and make us fight with one another. So we must destroy this. So that original tribesman, he sets out on a mission to go destroy this Coca-Cola bottle. And he goes all across the desert. It's his journey. If you have time to watch it, uh, it's pretty amusing. And all that goes to show is you cannot know the purpose of anything unless the creator tells you. They did not know what the purpose of this bottle was. Only John Pemberton, the inventor of Coca-Cola, who one day thought that it would be great to satisfy your, your thirst with this fizzly experience. But they themselves, those tribesmen, they would have none, no idea of what the purpose of that Coke was, except the creator. And likewise, in your life and my life, the only one who can bear the weight of providing meaning in your life is the one who created you. And everything else that is man-made, it cannot bear the weight of justifying your life, providing you this ultimate meaning. It won't be money. It won't be that Super Bowl ring. Even to this day, I see Instagram on the Philadelphia Eagles always looking back to the Super Bowl, trying to milk it as much as they can. Remember then? Remember a couple months ago? Because it can't bear the weight. You need Super Bowl after Super Bowl. It can be children, our relationships. And it goes to show the only thing, the only one that can bear this weight is our creator. You know, Pastor Tim Keller said that if you try to put that kind of burden on anything or anyone else, you're going to destroy them. You're going to destroy them. You know, he once recounts a story. He was talking to this novelist in New York, and he was writing all of these books. But the problem was no one was buying them. They weren't selling. And he entered into this time of depression, of just asking, you know, what am I doing with my life? Until one day his two daughters walked into the room, and he looked at them, and he said, you know what? Even though my books aren't selling, those two girls, they provide meaning. I will continue for them. They justify my existence. And you know what Pastor Keller is saying? You're going to destroy them because they cannot bear the weight 
of justifying your life, the way they end up, their outcome, if they're going to bear that kind of weight, you are ultimately being selfish because you are utilizing them to justify your life, and that's not what they're created to do. Not only is it selfish, you're going to destroy the very people that you love, and we see it all the time. Putting expectation upon expectation, how you end up, how this job ends up, provides meaning for me. All of those things won't bear that weight unless God does. There's a news article uh, from England uh, in London, and what they're doing here is uh, they're sponsoring this program. It's very interesting. Uh, They're taking all the abandoned dogs in the city, and they're matching them up with homeless men. And as they're doing that, they're finding out that these homeless men, they're doing a lot better. They're not relapsing back into alcohol and drugs. They're actually holding steady jobs. They're finding places to live. And this journalist, he goes around trying to find out what the difference was. He interviews this one homeless person, and they ask, you know, what is it? What is it about these dogs that are helping you guys? And you know what he says? He says, every time I want to quit, I look at my dog and I tell myself, I can't quit. Who's going to take care of my dog? I need to to do what I can to support her and care for her. So I have to make sure that I'm okay so that she's okay. As something as simple as an abandoned dog, do you see how those kinds of things are what we utilize to provide meaning, to go on, to keep hoping, to be straining ahead? And without a dog, without success, without our children, whatever it may be, if you don't have that, then what words do you hear? There's no reason for me to continue those sad words. There's no reason for me to keep on living this life. There's no meaning. And every one of us desperately trying to hold on to something to justify our existence from an Olympic gold medal to our children to an abandoned dog, but it cannot bear that weight. Only God can justify our existence. All of us, we need this justification. In this passage, it tells us how we get that justification. God tells us you are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image to be in perfect relationship with him for all eternity. That is the grounds. That is why you were made. That is what you are made for. And if you put any ounce of your justification in anything else, you're going to destroy it. You're going to destroy yourself. But God says, no, your worth, your sense of belonging, your sense of purpose is determined by your relationship with me and only that. And so you can always have a reason to go on, always have a reason for hope, always have a sense of belonging and worth. This is why all these theologians are saying, This passage that we just read is the most important paragraph in all of Scripture because it answers that question. How can we be justified before God? Second point, the nature of justification. So let's go a little deeper to what this justification is all about. We've been in the church for quite some time now. A lot of the times, uh, we use this imagery of a courtroom 
to get across this idea of justification. We're standing before God, and God is the judge. And now, if we use this imagery, we have to consider the charges that are being placed upon us. So if you look in verse 23, you're going to see two charges. Number one is our act of transgression, the way that we broke God's law. Think of that as God telling you, don't do this, and you look at them as some of our kids do, and they do it slowly and milk it, right? That's transgression. What's the second part of that verse? Falling short of the glory of God. Those are passive rebellions. Things that God tells us to do, but we still look at them and don't do it. It's what we lack. It's loving the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Having a desire to be deeply in relationship with him in scripture, in prayer, but we don't want to. So do you see those two charges? Active rebellion, passive rebellion. So there's a double charge against us, the sins that we have done and the worship and glorifying of God that we haven't done. Now, for all of us, whenever there's a charge against you, say that you're in an argument with your spouse, what do we do? Don't we try to pull out whatever we can in our pockets to defend ourselves, to justify ourselves? We do it all the time. I snapped at you because I had such a rough day at work. We use I had such a rough day at work to justify our wrongful acts. I'm sorry for acting that way, but you made me feel this, and therefore I retaliated. We justify our actions. It's because there was so much traffic that I got so angry that I drove in a reckless manner. Do it all the time. God, I haven't loved you, worshipped you, just because life was so busy. You understand, don't you? I'm trying my best here. Justify our actions. And in front of God, it sounds ridiculous. As a matter of fact, they're offensive. You know why it's offensive? Because it's laughable all of us, we know the story of Larry Nassar. We even shared about him a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Charles did. And if you follow the whole story, at the end of the trial, he writes this six-page, single-space letter. I'm not going to read all of it, but there's a couple of lines there. And you know what he writes? I was a good doctor because my treatments worked. And those patients that are now speaking out, they're the same ones that praised me and came back over and over again. I'll stop there, but how laughable is that. As a matter of fact, it's offensive to try to justify yourself in front of the charges that are being placed in front of you. Imagine how the courtroom received that kind of justification. I was a good doctor. The treatments worked. Laughable and offensive. And so think about us in front of God. I raised my children well. I worked hard. It's not only laughable, it's offensive to God to even bring up because I or because my life was. All of us, we're trying to justify ourselves. But what do we see? 
but now. Because of God's free gift of grace, we define it as a single, one-time declarative act, not based on what you have done, nor what you haven't done, but you are declared righteous. I am justified. A good way to memorize that is, just as if I never sinned, or just as if I lived fully for God's glory, justified, all from God as a gift. Now, to go a little deeper, I think a lot of us You know, we oftentimes, we equate justification with forgiveness. God saying, I forgive you, I pardon you. But I think it's a little deeper than that. Because a lot of the times, whenever we commit acts of sin, we think, God, of course he's going to forgive me, he's going to let me go. He's a loving God, just like a parent forgiving their child. But justification cannot be limited to just forgiveness. It is much more than that. And the best way I can try to explain this, and I don't know how I have this image in my head, but there's a Daniel Tiger episode that I remember very clearly where Daniel, he's throwing the ball inside the house in the living room, and it broke his mom's favorite vase. And as it shatters to the ground, she comes running into the living room, and you can see it on her face. She is distraught. And Daniel knows it. So he immediately puts his head down and he says, I'm sorry. And his mom, being kind of nearly perfect as she is, she says, it's okay, Daniel, I forgive you. But you know what I noticed? Even though she says, I forgive you, his head doesn't go up. He still looks sad. There's a shadow over his face. Before I continue on with that story, you know, James Hastings, a pastor from the early 1900s, he wrote about this before Mr. Rogers even existed. You know what he writes? He says, in justification, there is something more than forgiveness here. Because your little child who has done wrong and he pleads with you, am I good now? You say, yes. But the shadow hasn't passed over from your face. And the child still knows that it's not all right. He can ask, am I good now? And you say yes, and the child asks, then why don't you smile? He concludes, say what you like. Even the sweetest tones of forgiveness do not remove the impression of the shadow on our faces. Is it Miss Miss Tiger? Mama Tiger? I don't think she has a name. Um, She very quickly caught on to Daniel's face, and she says, Daniel, Would you like it if you and I put the vase back together? And immediately, he looks up, smiles, and says, yes. Why? There's restitution now. Things are made right. The damage is absorbed. Justification is not simply pardon. It's not a child saying, I'm sorry, Dad, that's fine, that's okay. It is much more than that because the damage has been absorbed. Things are made right. Marcus Sloan, he writes, forgiveness says you may go, you have been pardoned of the crime that you committed, but justification says you may come. You are welcome in my presence because the damage has been paid for. 
in justification. Restitution has to be made. There has to be redemption. Just as Paul writes in the very same verse, in verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this idea of redemption back in Paul's day, it was filled with meaning because back then, you redeemed someone out of slavery. It's not the same idea of slavery that we have back then because back then, whenever you incurred a large debt and you couldn't pay that debt off, the common thing to do was to sell yourself and your family into slavery. And as you work, you try to work off your debt. Now say that a distant relative finds out about your financial situation and he or she comes to the bank and they pay your debt, they redeem you, then what happens? You're scot-free. And that weight, that meaning is very much in this, the way that Paul writes that your forgiveness is not free. It's not simply pardoned, but it has been paid. And what is the price of that redemption? It is Christ's blood, his death. It's the same word, redemption, we heard in Ephesians 1, if you're here with us. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God puts Christ forward as the payment, as the payment to repay our transgressions and our sins. The shedding of that blood, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 16, I know you guys memorize that every day, right? (laughs) But it's this image of the priest having to take a goat and having to kill it and sprinkle its blood on top of the Ark of the Tabernacle, on the mercy seat. And now, when God commands the Israelites to do that, he's already shown forgiveness and steadfast love towards them, but still he tells them that a price must be paid. The life of another, the scapegoat is where we get that term. And so the blood of the goat has to be sprinkled upon the altar. And it's not as if the goat in itself had any value, but that blood pointed forward to the blood that is infinitely greater, the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The redemption price has to match the transgression committed. A bull and a goat cannot match that, but the price that Christ offers in his own life of infinite value, of infinite worth, God himself, that only can provide the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. That's what justification means. It's not simply being pardoned, but it's restitution being made. Final point. The grounds of justification. The grounds of justification. Now, if you've been tracking along with me, the average person, as we hear this, a lot of the times will get unsettled because the idea of God being a God of wrath is very unsettling to the Western mind. If we talk about God, he's a God who hates evil and he pours down fire and brimstone upon us. Very offensive. But to the Western ear, if you hear something like, God is a God of love who accepts all people and loves them unconditionally, we'll gladly take that. Miroslav Wolf, 
He's a Yale professor and theologian. We described him earlier, but he grew up as a Croatian in the Balkan area. And he himself grew up seeing a lot of violence in his life. And he writes this. If God was not a God of wrath, if God was not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. You go tell the Syrian refugee whose lives have been torn apart by war. God is a loving God. He forgives everyone. It is laughable and offensive. And it is not a God worthy of worship. But you tell them, one day, God will make all things right. Injustice will be made just. The evil and wicked will receive the fair weight of God's justice. That God is worthy of worship. You tell the 265 gymnasts that testified against Larry Nassar, and you just say, you know, God is a God of love. He forgives. It's not a God worthy of worship. But if you tell them, no, God is just. He knows and sympathizes. And all evil that has been done against you will be made right. That's a God worthy of worship. And Professor Wolf, he says, that's the only way, this Christian way. Because if you don't believe in a God that one day will make all things right, if you don't believe in a God of justice, then what are you going to do? You're going to take justice in your own hands. You're going to try to repay the evil. You're going to try to make things right. But what does that do? We've seen it in our world. It perpetuates this cycle of violence, doesn't it? And it's only faith in a God who makes all things right, either on the cross or that one day when he comes to put his wrath on evil. Unless you have faith in that, you're going to try to make things right with your own selves. It's only the Christian faith that allows you to say, I do forgive you, not because I'm just going to simply brush it off, because I know God is just. Why is propitiation necessary? A lot of people think that this has this pagan idea, you know, the image of an angry God and you have to sacrifice people in the volcano. <laughs> they get offended by that. But John Stott, he writes, the pagan answer thinks that the gods are bad-tempered and they're subject to moods and fits and capricious. The Christian answer is God's holy wrath remains just and righteous. His wrath is not against love and good. His wrath is against evil and only evil. That's where we can find our justification. You know, even God, he says, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? No. He wants all to be saved. But for those who do not change from their ways, placing their faith in Christ, he will make one all things right. So where do we find this beautiful culmination of God's love and wrath? We find it on the cross. 
find it on the cross of Jesus Christ. Where on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And on that same cross, we see the love in its fullest displayed. Just as we see God's wrath fully displays. And there's nothing in the world that can put those two together other than the redemption of Jesus Christ upon that cross. You either have to pick a God of love or a God of wrath, but only in Christ does the two come together. R.C. Sproul writes, where do we find in Scripture the fullest expression of the love of God in the cross? When Jesus Christ, he hung for your sins, for your acts of rebellion. And he also writes, where do we find the most horrible manifestation of the wrath of God? Is it not also in the cross where he pours out his wrath on his own son? And it is our faith in Jesus Christ that is what? The grounds of our justification. Christ alone. The redemption that is in Christ to be received by faith because it was paid by something of infinite worth. So he concludes in verse 27, if you still have it open, he says, in light of this justification that was purchased by Christ alone, what becomes of our boasting? He says, it is excluded. This boasting is not simply uh, the boasting that we do arrogantly, but he's saying, where is your confidence? Where is the confidence that you have that you are justified before God? Now, all of us will very quickly say it's not in our works, right? It's not in the things that we do. That's made very clear. No matter how much money I make, no matter how good I can uh, try to do at church or even at work, whatever it may be, I know that it's not by works. But here's something. I want to push it a little bit more. It's also not by anything you can conjure up in yourself, not even your faith. And let me explain. A lot of us, we think that if we put our faith in our faith, we are justified. If my faith is always strong and robust and perfect, that is what justifies us. But Paul is saying that's the same as being justified by works. How much can you conjure up faith this Sunday morning and worship God? Who are you looking to? How much can I conjure up faith tomorrow morning when I try to wake up and read scripture? How much can I create this desire and say, I believe I have faith? Who are you looking to? You're looking to yourself. And that is just like the works. It's not having faith in our faith, but faith in Christ, the object of our faith been a Christian for a while, you know what I'm talking about. There are days when you think your faith is very weak. I know God is there. I know he loves me. I know Christ died for me, but there's, there's, not, there, there's nothing in here. Does that mean your salvation falls with it? Or when he, maybe you have a great day, you know, at a retreat or something, you're just worshiping the Lord and everything. You're just ecstatic for him. Is your salvation any more secure because of your conjuring of that faith? It's the object of our faith, not by works, Christ alone. 
the slogan we often hear at church is this phrase, justification by faith alone. But the 16th century theologian, he writes, it's better to actually say, God justifies the believer not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of Christ's worthiness, who is believed. Yes, it is by faith, but it is in Christ. A great way to explain this, and I'll end with this, is uh, in the book, Reason for God. He writes, Dr. Keller, he writes, imagine that you're on a high cliff, and you lose your footing, and you begin to fall. And just as you're falling, you see a branch hanging on the very edge of the cliff. It's your only hope. And it is more than strong enough to support your weight. Now, how can that branch save you? Say that your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can support you. I know in my mind that it can save me, but you don't actually reach out and grab it. Will it save you? No. On the other hand, say that you're not 100% sure Your faith is weak in that bread, but you still grab it. Will it save you? Yes, because it is the object of your faith. That is what justification is based on, Christ alone. He writes, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. And we have a strong Christ. We have a strong redemption in Christ. I just want to share this one hymn, a couple of verses. It's written by a lady back in the late 1800s, right in Philadelphia. She started a lot of schools. She writes uh, this hymn called, My Faith has found a resting place. And the first verse goes, My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus says, this ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Whether great faith or weak faith, place your faith in him and you will stand before God fully justified. Let's pray. Today, we're going to continue in worship through our time of offering. But as we prepare, I'll invite us to take a few minutes to pray on your own. And I'll guide us in a couple of prayer topics. And maybe the first prayer that we can pray is asking God to help you to stop looking at yourself. To stop looking at yourself. Look to Christ pastor says a man who has faith is a man who's no longer looking at himself he's looking at christ he's not thinking about what he's doing now he's not thinking about his actions he's not so deeply concerned 
about his life or his thoughts, his actions. He's deeply concerned about the cross and Christ. Stop looking at yourself. Look to the cross. That's where salvation is. Let's pray like that.